I think the world can be pretty neatly divided into two distinct camps. There's the FOMO camp, fear of missing out. People who have to engage in every new social platform and social network that comes along. They're the people that started out in Friendster and went to MySpace and on to Facebook and Periscope to Snapchat, and now they are merrily TikToking their way to social media immortality. This is a big group. But they need to they need to jump on every bandwagon that comes along because it mu it must be better. But the problem with that group is a they lack staying power they, and they never develop momentum. They never stay in a space long enough to really make a difference. They're always looking kind of for the easy way into the next space. And they are always the people who are advising you and I that you have to embrace this technology or that technology. And sometimes they're right. I mean, some of the, some of the social platforms have stuck around and have become incredibly powerful. Instagram, one that I've never really participated in a lot, but obviously a tremendously powerful and influential social platform. So there is some truth in what they say occasionally, but they never stick around long enough to discover that truth. Then there's the other side of the coin, the complete other side. And I, do we call them Luddites? I'm not too sure, but they're the people who reject technology at all costs. They reject change because the old ways are the best and the real and good way of doing things. I look on Google to see if I could find a better term for it. Cause I wanted to, you know, like FOMO is great. We can talk about those people. We all know who they are, but how do we describe these people? The term that Google suggested that I use is fuddy-duddy. <laughs> I like that. I sometimes feel like a fuddy-duddy, but you know, it actually describes well. You know, the sort of person that just poo-poos all change, not based on actually understanding how that change is going to impact or improve the lot of those using it, but because it's not the way that they're comfortable with, it's not the old way. So we've got our FOMOs and our fuddy-duddies all lined up in these two camps. Now, I suppose there's a third camp. There's those who are incredibly well-balanced and neither addicted to nor afraid of any change or any technology. They just seem to know the right thing to do at all times. Those people, frankly, are a little bit boring and they don't need our help. I find them somewhat irritating. No. Give me people with problems any day. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Gray Matters, the podcast for those of us in the gray zone. What is the gray zone? Primarily baby boomers and Gen X, those of us sporting a touch of gray. We're interested in finding our place in the digital age. On this podcast, we will learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, all from our perspective. The world's changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore. We're facing the prospect of a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need a side hustle to take our experience and put it to work for us. We need to develop mad skills, adapt, and evolve in order to remain relevant in the digital age. I can help. This podcast can help. I'm glad you found us. How good is your memory? I know it's kind of a dumb question, isn't it? It's not getting better. Mine certainly isn't. But I think I can help you with that. And here's how I mitigate my slowly eroding memory is I use Evernote. Now I store all those little bits of information that I occasionally need in Evernote so that instead of groping around in the dark, 
trying to kickstart the memory banks to recall elusive facts, I have a system where I store it all in Evernote so that I know exactly where to find what I'm looking for, where I need it, and when I need it. Now, I've created an Evernote quick start guide, a free quick start guide, and if I do say so myself, it is pretty special. Don't take my word for it. Here's a couple of the reviews that we have on this free course that we have available. Robin Washington says, great course. I'm new to Evernote and thoroughly enjoyed the quick start course. The course made it easy for me to jump right in and start using Evernote. I'm excited to learn and use the tool on a consistent basis in my business and personal life. That's the thing is we teach you in about 30 minutes how to get started with Evernote. Diane Fush said, Title is true. The little quick start course is just that, a quick introduction to Evernote and a way to get started using it. I had already used Evernote a little in the past, so this was a good review for me. Plus, I picked up a few great ideas on how to use it in my daily life. I hadn't been using it for a while, so I'm excited to start using it as Steve suggested in the course. Love your voice and how you explain things. You make everything seem so doable. Oh, Thank you so much, Diane. And I want to encourage any of you that want to learn more about using Evernote, want to take a little bit more control of your life to take our Evernote Quick Start Guide. It's really easy to take. You just go to dototech.com forward slash quick start. It's a free course. It'll take you about 30 minutes. And those 30 minutes, you will discover a way that might just improve your memory. Consider it time well spent. Remember, dototech.com forward slash quickstart, and there will be a link in the description as well. I am curious if many of you have started to check out and even spend some time on the newest darling of the social network scene, TikTok. What is TikTok, Steve? You probably heard of it. You may have heard of it. It is, I guess, a few years old now. It is a social sharing network that's really primarily short little videos, little video clips, very similar to what used to happen in Vine, these short little videos. TikTok, it's a Chinese network, uh, but it has really grown in popularity, especially amongst the youth, where they post short little videos. Uh, the monetization model has not really come to fore yet. The people are still kind of figuring it out, but it is the darling of, it's the newest hot thing in social networking. And it, of course, in MySpace, in the, in the, so not in the MySpace, the old MySpace, but in, in the, amongst the social media marketers, it is all the rage, all the conversation. Many of my friends and colleagues are jumping on the TikTok bandwagon and telling me, once again, I hear stories of, Steve, you'd be great in TikTok. You do good video. Why aren't you in TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. I am not going to join TikTok or start publishing in TikTok anytime soon. I did take a good hard look at it. And as I've evaluated it and looked at it, and I wasn't evaluating it necessarily with an eye to thinking that it's a good publishing platform for me. But I'm curious about it. And the addictive nature of TikTok is something that we will be talking about in future episodes. The social engineering that is being done on us by the creators of these networks is phenomenal and terrifying in a lot of ways. But we have to understand it. But it got me thinking. And take with me a walk down memory lane. Now, I'm wondering which the first social networks that you got involved in are. Now, I go way back. And uh, I so I, I looked up on Google... Uh, the uh, kind of the history of social networking and it was a real walk it was a real walk down memory lane for me uh, because I started I don't know I'd love to hear from you uh, when you started but I started social networking back in the late 80s on bulletin board systems I would log into a BBS now for those of you who might not remember 
bulletin boards were locally hosted uh, computer networks that individuals would put into their home. They would set up themselves at home and they would have a couple of phone lines and they had to pay for plain old telephone lines, POTS lines. They would put POTS lines in through a modem to their computer and their computer would run a chat manager, a, a, a BBS, a bulletin board system that allowed people to phone their modem with their computer's modem, connect, and you all remember that geek, geek, gong, gong, all the sounds of a connecting modem and log in and they had message boards. They could share files back and forth. They had conversations. They had chat rooms. It was a way to connect, but you could only do it one person at a time. There was no synchronous communication. There was no chatting going on back and forth. It was completely a log on post in a log off world. And that happened all through the 80s. And then in about 84, no, later than that, it was 88, a, a new form of BBS rose called IRC or Internet Relay Chat. And that was the first synchronous conversations that could start to happen, sort of synchronous, where you multiple people could log on to a board and the board was far, uh, you were accessing it through a browser or through an application, through a persistent application, and it was through the internet as opposed to through BBS. So you could actually just use your internet connection. And I guess the most popular IRC client today is, it's still around, is MIRC is still available, but a lot of us kind of got into that social networking. And for the first time we could go into rooms and we could have conversations with people. and. Uh, and it was a phenomenon, but it was a very geeky phenomenon. Uh, the number of people using it was minuscule compared to people on the web today, but it was for many of us the first social type network. And then in 1996, IRC, uh, ICQ, sorry, was launched, which was another kind of step up. And we were well on the way. The people that were using that the seeds were sown for them to accept the next stage of uh, the next stage of networking, which you would think would be a Facebook type app, but no. The next big thing that happened for us in social networking was instant messaging apps. AOL released Instant Messenger in 1997. I. Th think that Microsoft released theirs. So I'm just going to look it up here. Oh yeah. So AOL released their instant messaging app in 1997, but it was of course it was trapped in the world of AOL. Microsoft Messenger and Yahoo Messenger were launched very close to each other in 1999. So it was the very end of the century when instant messaging apps were were launched uh, on your computer. And that for many of us was another huge step forward because we had, we had instant access. We didn't have to log into a service, but we could have a utility running on our computer that allowed us to chat with others. I don't know if you remember, I can remember just pulling my hair out. The big thing back in those days was trying to figure out exactly what your username was going to be. Talk about anxiety, figuring out your username for Yahoo Messenger and MS Microsoft Messenger. It was, it was quite something. But then within a few years, it was just four years later that Facebook came out. So in Windows, Microsoft launched Windows Messenger in 2001. So at that point there, we had all of these instant messaging apps uh, that were available to us. And really the beginning, it had, it had begun. The whole concept of social networking, of instant access to each other, uh, the real-time access 
for conversations. Uh, the beginning of the demise of the importance of email and phone. Even though email and phone, uh, the telephone, are still relevant apps today, they became less and less relevant. Skype was launched right around the same time. Uh, 2003, Skype came out. So we were starting to see uh, a real shift in, in how we communicated. And then 2004, Facebook came, and of course, the world has never been the same since Facebook. There's just been a cascading number uh, of different social platforms, far more robust social platforms than these kind of one-trick ponies that were, were, were the messaging apps happened. And then now, but for us, we have been asked from that point to take on and to learn about new tool after new tool, new social platform after new social platform. And each one generates opportunity. There's value. There's value in every single one of these and what they bring to the table. But if you are in the business of doing social marketing and if you are reinventing yourself and if you are building an online business, you only have so much bandwidth. And being asked to engage in all of these networks because of the opportunity they represent can be overwhelming. But I want to caution you on dismissing these out of hand. And, and I, let me share a story with you. I'm going to share a story with you. And it's actually back in those early 80s days. I can remember back in the, uh, sorry, the, the early 2000s. I can remember back when you know, Microsoft Messenger and Yahoo Messenger were in their prime. Let's say it's uh, probably after post-Facebook's launch. Let's say 19, 2006, 2005, 2006 timeframe. I was, I was in a speaking engagement. I was speaking in Edmonton, Alberta. And I was speaking at an educational conference and I was talking to teachers about the challenges that, uh, that they faced using the, with, these, with these messaging apps coming in. This was before kids were taking cell phones into the classroom, but there was a profound shift happening. You could have uh, situations where classes were setting up using Microsoft Messenger to talk to classes in other schools. And there was this whole, there was this whole new communication world starting to blossom. And I was speaking about that. And I can remember a principal, a vice principal in the, in the first row of the, uh, that I was speaking, uh, he, he, he spouted up for some reason. He goes, I don't let my kids use Messenger. And he was speaking about his daughters. And I asked him why not. I asked him why, because he was obviously uh, on the negative side. He was poo-pooing the entire concept of all of this technology. I could tell that he was, you know, he was in a space. There was just an energy coming from him that he disapproved of the technology that I was obviously proselytizing for. So he and I were obviously not going to become best of buds at that point there. But I asked him why he didn't let his daughters, I asked him how old his daughters were. He said they were like 14 and 16 at the time. And he said he didn't let them use it. And I said, why not? And he said something that I thought was really profound. This is important. He said, because I want them to have real relationships. And that went through the audience like electricity. There was a lot of people in the audience that were going, yes, because that audience at that time was struggling with coming to terms with this new technology. And here, a person of authority had put the technology in its place. He had said it has little value because it's not as valuable as real person-to-person -person communications, which is what he wanted his daughters to do. So he put this technology, this instant messaging technology in a box, and he says it has less social value than other forms of communication. And I thought to myself, what an idiot. But I, I didn't say that. Um, but, and, and, and it disturbed me how well that attitude landed in the community. And I recognized there was a real prejudice 
against these new technologies amongst the people in the room that were there with me. There was a, a part of me that just knew intuitively that this was the wrong way to look at this, but I didn't have uh, I didn't have an analogy. I couldn't I couldn't kind of put it into I couldn't create a picture around it. And it wasn't until years later that it, it kind of all fell in place. And I realized this might seem like a large reach for you, but let me tell you how this all fits. Years later, after this incident, I lost my favorite. Well, my favorite uncle and aunt lived on Vancouver Island, and uh, my uncle Jim and my aunt Ruby. Now. Let me tell you about Uncle Jim and Aunt Ruby's courtship because it's relevant to this conversation. I know we're, we're, we're taking a long way around. My Uncle Jim was, uh, they both went to high school together in, not together, they both went to high school in Parksville, BC, a small little town on Vancouver Island. Now, my Aunt Ruby, her family had moved to Vancouver Island. Uh, they were farmers from Saskatchewan. And she was best friends with my Uncle Jim's younger sister, another one of my aunts, obviously. Uncle Jim, as soon as he graduated from high school, signed up for the service. It was 1940. Uh, and he signed up to be in the Canadian paratroopers. He we became a paratrooper. He went overseas, and he uh, and he and he came back. He was he came back to Canada after the war. So he, he saw service in action all through the war as as a paratrooper in in the Canadian Army. Now my aunt Ruby, she was younger. She stayed in high school in Parksville. Now they didn't they sort of in passing knew each other, but weren't really friends. But she was good friends with my my uncle's younger sister, and her family decided that they were going to move back to Saskatchewan. So my aunt Ruby remained in Parksville. And actually stayed in my Uncle Jim's old room in his house and, uh, and stayed there to complete high school. As soon as she graduated high school, I guess two years later, we're talking now 1943. Um, as soon as she graduated high school, she got engaged, as they did often very quickly in those days, to a man who was heading off to military service himself. And he went overseas and was promptly killed in action. He passed away very quickly and Ruby obviously was devastated. Well, my Aunt Mary, who was her best friend, wrote to my Uncle Jim, who was at th that, that point stationed in England, and I guess they were already in preparation for D-Day at that point. And she asked him to write letters to Ruby because she was, she had, she was just so devastated. So, but just hearing from somebody over there might do her some good. Now, my uncle Jim wasn't a man of letters. I don't think he was all that. He wasn't like, didn't have a high level of education. He had barely finished high school. He later became a butcher. He was a wonderful man, a great sportsman, um, and a wonderful uncle to me, but I don't think he was, uh, he was a man of letters. Nevertheless, he wrote to, to Ruby and over the course of the next few years, they fell in love. And to the point that, uh, as soon as he returned from service, they, uh, they were married within months of that. And they were remained together until, until she passed away, you know, 50, 60 years later. So I thought to myself after that, what an amazing, I, first of all, I love that story. But I thought, what an amazing courtship. And it speaks to the human condition, how we can, we are such excellent communicators. And here's how we can pull this back to this real relationship. I have to ask you, what part of their courtship was real based on that vice principal's criteria? My uncle and aunt wrote each other letters that took weeks to be delivered. Every single letter in those times 
was read by a censor because they had to look for sensitive information. So they knew somebody else was reading their letters. They often arrived out of order. They could arrive with razor, uh, razor bladed sections that had been redacted if they thought there was something too sensitive. My uncle mentioned a pub that he was at with his friends. They would redact that from the letter because it could tell other people where the Canadian first paratroop division was, was bivouacked in, in, in England. Um, so that was the, that was the, that was their courtship. We as human beings do one thing from cradle to grave and one thing only. We were born communicating and we die communicating. It's the only thing we do through our entire life. And we are really great at communicating and we're really great at using whatever we have at our fingertips to communicate. So if we can't speak to each other and see each other's face to face, we can use letters, we can text, we can use all of these different technologies. We use music, we use body language, we use scent. We, we communicate using everything at our fingertips. So for one generation to say that the way that a different generation communicates is not real, is not as valuable. That is something that I consider to be generational arrogance. If we look at any technology and dismiss it because it's different than what we do, we are essentially denying one of the core features of the human condition. We are terrific communicators. So when we look at a tool now, like a TikTok, or when we look at uh, Snapchat, and when our generation, when baby boomers consider that or, or dismiss it out of hand, because it's different and it's not as good and not as real as the way we like to communicate, we have to be very, very cautious. I am not saying for a moment here that we have to embrace these technologies. We can't. There are too many of them to embrace. But what I'm really encouraging each and every one of you to do is to not dismiss the relevance of them to the people who use them. Respect is what is missing. And that's really the message that I wanted to share with you in this blog today, is we need to respect these different technologies, even the ones that we don't necessarily want to use. Now by respect, I'm not saying that we have to appreciate them. We can be, we can be critical of the social engineering that happens, of the lack of responsibility of the leadership of these companies. There is plenty to criticize, but what we need to respect is the relevance of the users, is, is how much it impacts their lives. So when we are sitting down, you know, when, when kids, when kids today, listen to me, I'm sounding, I'm sounding like a fuddy-duddy. But when someone today uh, is texting back and forth with somebody and you want to say to them, why don't you just, they're, they're half a block away, why don't you just get, the, get together for a coffee? That's our generational bias talking. That's, we have to respect that they might find their texting conversation just as fulfilling and just as, I'm doing air quotes now, real as we would find a face-to-face -face conversation. So when I evaluate a new platform like a TikTok, I can dismiss it as something that I don't necessarily want to use for my business or engage in in my personal life, but I will respect that it is going to be important in many others' lives and understand that. And as a result, even though I probably won't end up using it, 
I will still engage and follow it and see exactly what value it has to others. And I will learn about it. I will not cocoon myself, stick my head in the sand. And just because it is something that I choose not to use, then dismiss it out of hand. That's really kind of the core message and the core kind of call to action that I have for you today is you are going to be overwhelmed with all of these networks coming down, especially those of you who are just in your early stages of stepping into social marketing and understanding all of the social space. You're going to experience lots of frustration and maybe even a large degree of overwhelm as you evaluate all of these different technologies. I'm going to tell you right now, don't worry about the fact that you can't master all of these technologies and don't try and master them all, but respect them. Be curious about them, look into them, try and see what it is about them that works for the people that choose to use them, show them that respect. And that puts us on a footing to move ahead. If we reject them out of hand, the people that use those technologies will eventually reject us because we don't live in the same world. We don't respect the things that are important to them and that work for them. So it's tremendously important for us to have that respect for other technology. If we want it back for ourselves, if we want people to respect the technology that we use, the way we communicate what's important to us, then we have to respect their technologies, the ones that are important to them as well. I will get off my soapbox now. I spent a little bit of time preaching in this particular episode. Did I not? Now listen, guys, I am really excited about what we're going to be doing over the next year or so in Gray Matters here in this podcast. I think it's just the time is so right for this podcast and the need is so great amongst baby boomers as we face so much turmoil and transition in our lives. But don't let me do this in a vacuum. Please join with me and let me know the topics and the subjects that are going to be interesting and valuable to you. And the best way for you to do that is to join us in our Facebook group, The Gray Zone. If you head over to Facebook and go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash go gray, and I'll include a link in the show notes here. But if you head over to that group and sign up, let me know who you are and fill me in on the topics that work for you here in the podcast, the things you want to learn more about, the skills that you want to learn, the topics that you want us to embrace. This is an iterative process. I will respond to what you are most interested in. So I am inviting you to join me over there in Facebook and let's let's build this podcast into something special. Let's build this community into something special. We can support each other. We will support each other. And it all happens through dialogue. So that will bring us to the wrap of this week's podcast. Till next time, I'm Steve Dotto. Have fun storming a castle.